0: You know, if you've just done this big monster mountain bike ride, you know, you're going to need some electrolytes, you're going to need some salt, some, you know, some citric acid and some beer to, you know, take the edge off of your sore nether regions after a big <laughs> it's ride. It's the Gatorade That's... of beers. It is.
1: But, but the love for the beer is not necessarily the beer itself, the love for the beer is when you see it coming off the packaging line and it's absolutely perfect. Nice. I don't really give a shit what the beer is. I just love that it. it's absolutely perfect and yeah. you get this re- re- reaction from from our friends and from people you don't even know and it's just that that is really rewarding and really
2: cool welcome to the craft beer travel and adventure podcast with living a stout life this is where we sit down with creative thinkers on the road adventurers and craft beer lovers your host Ken and april live work and travel in a 24-foot rv in search of inspiring stories around a great beer
0: we're
3: back baby poncha springs and salida well, actually, we haven't really left yet.
2: That's we're We not haven't really left. Back. We're
3: just still here.
2: Well, we're back with the podcast because now we're talking to... <laughs> Which Elle podcast? Craft Beer Travel and Adventure.
3: The best podcast ever, baby.
2: Hosted by Living a Style Life. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yes. Had so, too much
3: coffee this morning.
2: <laughs> aren't, don't we cheers at the end with beer? Don't tell them we're drinking coffee.
3: We start the day with coffee. We end the podcast okay. with beer.
2: The goal before this off mic was talking about making this a short introduction because we have a lot to bring you. This yeah, episode, yeah, but yeah, what's anyhow- so good
3: about being short? I like being medium height, medium height, average height, not super uh, tall, not super short.
2: Wait, okay, please stop just right we're here with elevation beer (laughs) company in poncho springs colorado which is actually just outside of salida and if you want to hear all about the cool shit you can do in this area um definitely head on over to our other podcast with trace litros where we talked a little bit more about salida itself but Mm -hmm. this one we get into a lot of it's a lot it's truly a conversation around beer right Absolutely. Yeah, like because we're talking about beer, of course, but we also touch upon things like the economics of beer, um, economics in general, sustainability, like housing, um, sustainable jobs, all the way into like full on like music genres and music. Like this was a great, this was fun.
3: And, yeah, it was a fun podcast because I mean, and Elevations long been a favorite brewery of ours up here, and just like pretty much everybody yeah. up here.
2: But yeah, you know. But this one we've got. So it's fun um, to sit
3: down and talk with these guys.
2: We've got Andy with us, and um, according to him, he is everything that is consumer-facing communications. We'll let him explain that. And then we've also got co-founder. He's a
3: guy that likes to talk about beer and music, and he talks to customers a lot and people who just like to be at the bar.
2: And we also have...
3: I'm explaining his job title.
2: We also have Carlin, (laughs) one of the co-founders and owners, and we get into some cool conversations with him as well. But anyhow, this is supposed to be a short intro. But before we go there, I just want to make sure you guys check out the coolest adult camp ever, Camp Carpe Diem, held when, Kenny?
3: October 20th through the 23rd. Where, Kenny? Brevard, North Carolina, which is right near Asheville. So we're overloaded with breweries and biking trails and awesome waterfalls and mountains.
2: Yes. So anyhow, go <laughs> dot com, And with that, we're done talking because we got a lot yeah, of cool conversation I happening. We're
3: ever done talking. But right now, though, we're going to go ahead and swing it on over to Andy and Carlin and let them talk more about Elevation and Pontius Springs and Salida and the mountains of Colorado and everything good in beer and music and community let's go
2: all right welcome to the craft beer travel and adventure podcast we are here with andy from elevation beer company andy what the hell is your role here
0: so that is the million dollar question <laughs> uh, and the easiest way to distill it i guess would be if there is consumer facing uh, communication components it kind of falls on my lap but i've done wait say
2: that again three times fast yeah. consumer
0: <laughs> facing communications um but I've done, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff. I I started out as taproom manager. I was um, a sales rep in the central mountain territory. I was at the helm of the marketing department during our transition to cans. I helped open a food truck. Um, So I was like flipping burgers last summer out there. Um, And now my current role is, you know, maybe more of a uh, sales related, in working with our wholesale partners and their distributor reps, but I also do you know wordsmithing for any of the any of the sell sheets, staff training, staff onboarding for front-of-the-house staff. Um, I'll pick up bar shifts. Um again, we're a pretty small company, not super compartmentalized, so everyone is kind of willing to step up. It's probably easier to say I don't brew beer and I don't do any like bookkeeping. But other than that. I
2: can I can step into my And everything room. else. Anything anything else. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we off can off microphone. Actually, mm-hmm. we were, you were talking earlier saying you've never brewed. Beer. Never brewed a batch. Of beer. Not even home or anything like that. Never, never. I mean, you don't have to brew beer to work in a brewery or to love
0: it. The way I look at it is, there's, you know, there's. I'll use the automobile analogy, right? There's guys that sell cars. There's guys that build cars. There's guys that race cars. Uh, very few do all three. So I've got a you know pretty decent scope of knowledge as far as process and ingredients and beer history, um, but I've just never gotten on a platform. You know, um, I, yeah,
2: I think I think there's a misconception with anybody who works in a brewery that a lot of people seem to think that they've always brewed beer at least mm-hmm. once. I think even with beer tenders, that that might be the only exception. People think that they don't beer that they don't mm-hmm. brew, but I think there's that misconception with that, and you don't have to
3: right. brew beer. To- and I've actually probably run into more beer tenders that I think have at least brewed on a homebrew scale or something just because there's an interest there because you are it's usually the people who are really geeky about beer do tend to at least a little bit try it once in a while.
2: Wasn't there, sorry, a brewery in Montana, a little brewery in Montana that opened on a farm, I cannot remember the name of it, but wasn't his first batch of beer brewed was as a professional brewer when they opened the brewery? Yeah,
3: we were at this brewery and he was telling the story, he's like, he got his license approved in October and he brewed his first batch of beer ever in December. Wow. Right? And opened the brewery. It's like, so, wow, that's ballsy.
0: Yeah. That's ballsy beer. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think on the, the front side, like you guys are talking about, I think the educational components have become pretty critical to service. You know, yeah. So you look at these, these you know, I think specifically like the Cicerone program. Um, and sort of solidifying and, and making consistent how beer is presented and discussed and having just kind of a baseline knowledge of styles, of parameters, of off flavors, of service, of history, of all that stuff is really critical. And, um, and so that was something that I kind of pursued and got my um, Cicerone certification probably back in 2015, I want to say. Um, and then took the there's so there's the four four levels to that whole mm-hmm. curriculum right so beer server which I think is uh, is pretty much passable for just about any of our staff yeah Kenny um, <laughs> uh, so it's, you know it's 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 good it's a good good scope of knowledge then there's the, the actual cicerone title which is a little more intensive oh, yeah. um, the advanced level which they added sort of later on into the program is a buffer between cicerone and master because so many people you know were bombing. Master exam. that
3: Oh yeah, there's you know, still what maybe not even a couple dozen masters. I think. Yeah, college. yeah.
0: There's not a lot, you know. And when you've got people like uh, Julia Hertz not passing the advanced test, then, then that kind of gives you an idea of you know, how how difficult that exam is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she's
3: probably forgotten way more about beer than I'll ever know. Well, she writes. <laughs> she writes. You know,
0: materials that you study to take the test. Right. Um, yeah. And so, um, so yeah. So. But I think I think getting back to you know you don't have to be a brewer to be able to intelligibly discuss beer or you know or, or, or sell it or serve it um, and I think the flip side of the point too is there's tons of brewers who just would rather not talk to people you know yeah, they, true. they just want to work and you know get the thing done and you know go and go home and enjoy well, the, rest and of it. the market's getting to
3: a point where there's so many yeah. craft beer geeks that are have become very knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the beer I and mean, I mean, even recently I used to say like, okay, just having good beers, your ticket to entry is a brewery anymore, right? You can't open a brewery and have crap beer or even just okay beer. You really have to be out of the gate pretty strong. But now, I mean, it's even going further than that. I think you also have to have that staff For sure. up front because people ask the questions that, you know, what hops are in this beer? Yeah. What malts in this beer? What yeast did you guys use? and. Yeah. You know, your typical server in the in the service industry in general doesn't know those kind of questions. You, you know, even when you're at a nice restaurant, yep. they're not going to know all the foods, ingredients, you know. It is, it is a, know, a it's,
0: unique transactional relationship that, you know, like that baristas probably don't have to deal with it. Yeah, you know, a server at Potager, or a nice restaurant in Denver, you know, yeah, those places in particular probably would have that knowledge, but grand scheme of things, yeah, you know. Uh, and I feel like, like beer geeks, too, have this desire to kind of flex their knowledge yeah. sometimes oh, you know like yeah. as if it's going to impress a uh, beer tender maybe it will um, you know and, and that's usually that's kind of one of those times when I would get called into the conversation if they're like hey this this brewer wants to talk about these things you know I, I need to sell that's more me. beer to other people and that's fine and, yeah, and that's like that's where I make the worst bartenders I'll talk to one person you know for an hour about stuff and you got people just staring daggers at you like can I just put, oh, like, can get a six pack get get to go <laughs> You <Yeah. laughs> just need a six pack to go man so um, so yeah so that's it is it is cool kind of um, that how that is in, in craft beer and how that's an expectation you know and I think that can I've had experiences in breweries where I really love their beer and the, the service was less than stellar and that kind of changes my, my outlook on them and the flip side I've had beer that wasn't so great that was served you know passionately and happily and, you know, in, in an engaging manner. I ordered another, even though it wasn't the best beer I had in my life.
2: Well, that's why yeah. that question that we get all the time and probably you too sometimes is like, what's your favorite brewery? Mm-hmm. And that is such a difficult question cool. to answer because it's a lot of it's depending on the scenario you were in at the time, mm-hmm. really, and your well, situation sure. in it. My yeah. favorite
3: beer and favorite brewery can be vastly different yeah. because like you said, beer, doesn't always make the brewery experience great, you know? I mean, the people there often are the ones that really make it awesome.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so you don't brew beer. I don't. But you drink beer, I do. and you work at a brewery, so where'd the passion for beer come from?
0: So, it's kind of a little bit of a long story, but basically I've been working in Food & Bev my entire life, um, so there was, there was kind of just that, that just job component of it. I started out, my first brewery job was at a place called Phantom Canyon in Colorado Springs. Yeah. So this was back in probably 1996. And um, so Phantom Canyon was opened up by our senator, John Hickenlooper, he opened Glencoop in Denver, as mm-hmm. arguably Colorado's first brew pub. Was a large group up for a while. You then nineteen eighty-eight.
3: I honestly didn't know there was Phantom Canyon too. No. Yeah, oh, so Phantom. Yeah, Phantom was the, cool.
0: the second location, and okay. um, and, Hick and the Brewer had a, a pretty cool business model with that, in that they would find, you know, affordable large real estate, these big historic buildings, and the formula was, you know, brew house on the main floor with, you know, pub fare. Billiard Hall on the second floor with another satellite bar. So they had Wincoop downtown, Phantom Canyon, Colorado Springs, a few other um, kind of scattered over, over the country. And a bunch of us moved out to Buffalo, New York to open up another brew pub, sort of pseudo-franchise, place called Pearl Street Brewing and Brewery. And, um, and then when I moved back to Colorado, I worked at Wincoop, sort of in the early 2000s. Um, and this was all sort of, front of the, or back of the house and front of the house. But it was always, you know, as a bartender, the bartenders and the brewers are always kind of, we're hanging out together because, you know, they, they want to teach us what we're doing and we're going to get them, you know, buzzed up after shift. So, um, so the brew pub thing was, I think initially when I first started Phantom, it was, Hey man, there's this place where you can get beer to go on Sundays and they build these (laughs) growlers and it was like this really cool concept because back then you can get beer on Sunday in Colorado and, um. And so, you know, I guess in, in, a, in an effort to parlay uh, early stage alcoholism into a viable <laughs> career, it just made sense. But um, but it was it was cool. And and so the pub thing growing up in England was was pub culture was just a very different thing than um, I think what you know, what bar culture is maybe looked at in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with pubs, it's it's acceptable to you know, have a few beers after. Working in the afternoon, or you know, take, taking a long lunch—it just—it it wasn't. I don't know, there wasn't as much, I guess, stigma about having kids in pubs. You know, there's the area that you stayed in. You didn't go over here where the adults are drinking, but you know, pubs were you know, kid-friendly, and so so that resonated too. Um, but then, yeah, getting the job at, at Phantom Canyon really kicked it off. So I worked there. Yeah. There's another place called Il Vicino that opened in downtown Colorado Springs, which was a Albuquerque-based. Brew pub franchise. Uh, they've got one in Salida actually, it's called Amica's. It was, it was purchased by Sposals, but I used to be in Vicino. So I worked at Phantom Canyon, El Vigino, and went out in Buffalo, met a brew pub, back to Wincoop, and then when I moved down to Salida, I was managing a bar, and then you know, jumped on board with these guys. So I've been pretty much working in craft beer as it were, brew pub since about the mid 90s. Well, well,
3: go ahead. I was just gonna say, talking about elevation you probably know better than a lot of people because you've been here pretty much since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, So how did Elevation get started? What's kind of the- So the origin the story origin for
0: Elevation, st- we had, um, so Carlin and Christian, our, our owner and head brewer, their wives were working together uh, at a hospital in Denver. Um, they became friends and they're like, hey, you know, our husband should hang out. They both like jam bands and, and blah, blah, blah. And so Christian was a plumber at the time, but he was home brewing. And then Carlin was uh, working on West Metro Fire, I think, at that point. And um, and this was probably about two thousand nine, two thousand and ten. So opening a brewery was, a, was still a viable business option at that point, and it kind of made sense to do that. And um, and Christian was this really good home brewer. Uh, Carlin had, was um, you know really involved um, with sort of a local economic development very savvy at securing business loans and you know and funding for that kind of stuff. And it was a homebrew batch of Little Mo Porter that Christian had in a growler that they were drinking at Jazz in the Park in Denver. Oh yeah. And so and, and it was at that point, uh, and I'll just warn you now, anytime I talk about Carlin or I'm gonna I'm gonna use his voice because he's got a very distinct voice, but <laughs> Carlin was basically, wow like, oh, this is this is a really good good beer, man we should open a brewery and that kind of got the gears turning and so they started you know Carlin was going to school getting his MBA on top of that he's a a pretty oniony guy so he's got his MBA and um, they started drawing up the business plan and we were looking they were looking at you know potential locations Carlin grew up in Buena Vista so he was familiar with the Arkansas Valley and again back in 2010 um, real estate was moderately affordable in this area as opposed to Crested Butte or Summit County I don't think they wanted to do Denver at that point. Um, and so, and then this facility, this location opened up and that was always an, another kind of why didn't you guys open Salida? You know, and, and a building at yeah, this because we're in Springs, which is just, just outside of yeah. Salida, basically. Yeah, and so, you know, this building was, uh, it was an existing structure, already had the bay doors, already had, you know, again, for a distribution model, had room, pull trucks around and in and out of the lot. And it was, um, you know, affordable Poncha Springs wasn't, there wasn't a lot going on. It was kind of this little, um, you know, gas station. Um, there's Poncha lumber, there was you know, Marigas, but in the industrial park it was yeah. affordable big real estate in the grand scheme of things. So we opened up here and, um, yeah. And, and then just kind of kept kept chugging away the tap room, kept growing and doing more sales and the town kept growing. And you know, if you look at, that the development of Poncha Springs compared to where it was in 2010, it's, it's, it's grown significantly. You know? So do you know, was,
3: was it purely just a business decision to move here or was there also because of the background in Buena Vista and stuff, was there kind of that wanting to get to the mountain lifestyle too yes. and incorporate that into the sure.
0: For sure. And that's a huge part of the DNA of the company is, you know, one Carlin having pretty deep roots in Buena Vista, um, which, you know, again, when he was going to high school in BB that's you know it it was barely a blip on anyone's radar at that point you know it was and so um so yeah you know when you look around it's like you know we're surrounded by a bunch of 14ers you know in my opinion one of the most beautiful parts of the state we've got mountain biking God, Mark, but Mark, you don't Mark, want to Mark. move here. Trust me, you don't. Want oh, to move well, here. I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> just yeah. trying to keep the grip. I think it's, Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a great place, it's, but it's that yeah that two headed cool, monster. Uh, people have discovered it, you know, and that's fine. We're all we're all we're all, we're all yeah. part of the problem. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was that was a big component of it. Was you know, wow, man, Denver's a great city. You know, I lived there for a long time. But I don't think I would. There's much that could get me to go back to live um, around that many people anymore. And I think that was yeah. what a lot of us wanted was just you yeah. know just the fresh air, elbow room, access to recreational opportunities. We opportunity. talk
3: about the same thing all the time. As we travel around, people are like, you know, where would you settle down if you decide to stop RVing around and stuff? And and we talk about that all the time too. But I think the one thing that April and I are unanimous on is like never a big city again. Mm-hmm. And we. We grew up in Denver basically as adults and stuff and um, love Denver, but I have no desire to live in Denver again or, or any other city that's anywhere near that big. Okay, well, let me it's tell just you though, It's not the lifestyle I want anymore.
2: The mountains really aren't that far from Denver. That's why people do love Denver. Mm-hmm. But as I'm sitting here recording this podcast and looking out the window, the mountain is like right there. Yeah. Yeah, you can That's touch why it. <laughs> you don't know, like like Poncho Springs, Salida, you know, maybe yeah. area. So it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah.
3: Is that what drew you here? Or, like, how yeah. did you end up in Salida?
0: For sure. So, I grew up in Colorado Springs, and we would come and ski Monarch. Uh, mm-hmm. We'd do some family outings and go you know, rafting on Browns. Did that a couple of times as a kid. And uh, always had, had kind of an, an affinity for the area. When I was living in Denver, I would ski at Loveland a lot, and Loveland had ski away days at Monarch. And so, it was probably 2006 or seven that we came down and did a ski trip to Monarch Mountain. And, that point, uh, yeah, I was like, man, this is, this is really cool down here. I would also just started getting into um, some of the river sports and stuff and just, you know, just river running and, um, and it was, we were, we were kind of torn between, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time were torn between maybe Golden, you know, west side of Denver getting towards the mountains or, uh, or Salida and a job opened up for her at the hospital. I, I was pushing for Salida not sure what I was going to do for work at the time. Michael was like, Oh, maybe I can get a job at Monarch at the bar and maybe, right. you know, do some river guiding in the summertime, something like that.
3: Yeah. There wasn't even a brewery here at that point, was there? There was Amica's yep,
0: right. was the brewery. yep, And that was still, you know, and that was, that was, that was an option. Um, or that would that would have been a place I absolutely would have applied. And, um, so she got the job at the hospital, which was kind of uh, the good push, but it was, it was, you know, Hey, I'm ready to get out of Denver. Of the city, I want to live near Ski Hill. It doesn't happen. I don't want to live in Summit County and you can't afford, you know, Vail or Telluride or, or any of those mm-hmm. places. And, um, and just the proximity to Colorado Springs where my parents live was, was pretty advantageous too. So, right, so it was that, you
2: so many people like, who are in the cities, whether it's Denver, Boston, Chicago, whatever, think that because they've got something started there that they can't ever leave, even though they want to. And so, I think that a lot of people who like look outside of the city areas when they really want to go, if they for the people that look for all the opportunities, mm. I just, I don't know, it's, it's inspirational because so many people feel like they're stuck and they can't go anywhere else. Yeah. But you're never stuck. Like totally. you can always try to find something or create something that you need to go to the places that you want to do to like make your life a little bit like less stressful. Mm. <laughs> because so many people just accept it, like this is my life, this is where I'm stuck, oh well. But I don't well,
3: know. And I think if you get to an area like Salida, a mountain town like this, this this isn't this isn't a Vale mountain town or, mm. or even Breckenridge which is still a pretty good mountain town but very very touristy mm. as a whole like when you get to an area like this you can you can live a really good life without having a lot of stuff and things mm. and having to have this massive income it's like people here kind of thrive off I feel working hard playing hard mm-hmm. and supporting each other. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's, you know, and I'm going to start sounding like the, the curmudgeonly, curmudgeony, you know, local. Um, and again, I, I'll be the first to say I'm part of the problem. I didn't get here until two thousand mm-hmm. and nine, two thousand and ten. And there's, we've got you know, some people who've been here, you know, were born here, born and raised okay. here, and have seen the, the massive changes. And uh, but I'll definitely say in the last probably six years, you are seeing. Things happen in Salida that have sort of happened in Vail, in Breckenridge, in Steamboat, in Telluride, in Crested Butte, um, to where, you know, just that um, the, it all boils down to workforce housing, you know. And and we snuck in, we got in at a time where there was still affordable housing, it was still kind of a blip on the radar, and, and there wasn't great bandwidth, and there wasn't this concept of remote working, and there wasn't um, a lot of that, you know. You, Kind of accepted, like all right. Well, I'm going to leave the city. I'm going to live in Salida. I'm going to make probably half of what I could make, but the trade-off is, you know, there's one stoplight and 5,000 neighbors. Um, you know, the, the, the populations remained fairly low. I think we're still south of 7,000 people in the town. But um, but if you look at what what's going on with VRBOs and you know available rentals and just affordable housing, uh, we are definitely wading into the territory that we've seen sort of all the other resort towns, you know, and so I think Salida has done a, a pretty good job up till this point of maintaining that that sort of genuine community, like you're saying, you right. know, there's there's hardly any franchise restaurants, and there's, um, you
3: know... Big, they're kind of on the outskirts on the highway.
0: Yeah. The, the ones that
3: are here, that, which yeah. are just that couple.
0: Yeah, so there's there's still, it's, you know, it's cliche, it sounds cliche, it's still absolutely a community, but I think we're approaching a precipice, if we haven't already gone over it, with um, you know what initially made the town cool, mm-hmm. which was the artists, the river guides, the dirtbags, the ski bums. You know the restaurants. This you know you're, you're getting to that point where, well, you know ski patrollers can't afford to live here. You know, mm-hmm. Hospital employees can't afford to live here. They're putting RV connections at Heart of the Rockies because travel because you know we, there's, well, there's travel nursing is now a thing but also because you know, when people move here, and, and we run into this problem now hiring for the brewery. You know, if we mm-hmm. want to hire a new brewer, it's, it's this game, this chicken and egg situation of, all right, well, do you have a place to live? Well, I don't have a place to live because I don't have a job. Well, we can't give you a job if you don't have a place to live. How do you balance that? And it's, and, and you're seeing it, you know, if you, if you want to go eat dinner on a Tuesday night in Salida, well, good luck, there might be two places open right you now. You now, if you want to eat dinner on a Friday night in July, sure, you all know, go. But <laughs> might I have know. to wait in line. Yeah.
3: yeah, but you'll get in. Yeah, yeah but I, you said like you're part of the problem, but you're not. I mean, you're like from what we've seen in the different. We've traveled to a lot of different areas like this across the country, and like you moved here to live here and work here and mm-hmm. play, everything. You know, I and what at least from my perspective what i see in these different towns like soiita well, tourist towns, is across the country it's not the people that go there to live there it's the people that buy vacation homes mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and are only there one or two months out of the year mm-hmm. and then a lot of these homes and they pay exorbitant amounts for those homes mm-hmm. and then they sit empty the rest of the year yeah. or they were like you said the brbos and stuff yeah. they rent them out the rest of the year and you have all this you have all this property that's being bought up to build these expensive homes, these mm-hmm. vacation type homes, which you, you know, it's a catch 22 because you kind of want some of that, but. Oh yeah, you've
0: got to have the free market. But, but yeah.
3: like you said, it's killing the market, up, the housing market mm-hmm. for people, the people that are going to live there and work there and mm-hmm. serve these people, you yeah. know, in a restaurant or a brewery or wherever at the, what at the, the, shop cool the first or place, it, you know. Yeah, so it's, so it's, it's hard. I don't know. I don't know. I don't pretend to have the answer to like how do you strike that balance as yeah. a community for smart growth, right? Yeah.
2: Maybe we can solve that problem over beer. Over beer, yeah.
3: Yeah, we're probably going <laughs> a little, you know, getting deep in the woods. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so bringing
2: it back bring a it bit back actually beer because I have I well I a question too, like <laughs> mm-hmm. with the tourists coming in and mm-hmm. beer and all that, do you find yourselves on like as a company creating the beer for the tourists, creating the beer for the locals, creating beer that you like, like is there a balance that you found yeah, over
0: the there's, years? There's definitely, you know, uh, an intersection of wanting to brew stuff that we want to drink, but we don't pay for the beer, so you know we got to brew stuff that's going to sell as well. Um, I think Elevation as a company, we have tried to, if we're going to approach a beer, if we're going to produce a product, we're going to try and do it with intention and you know not too much kitsch and try and do it how they would do it you know i think if you look at if you look at any beer there's going to be probably some kind of historical precedent set a recipe that was determined by available ingredient and tradition and and for us and i think for a lot of breweries that we admire uh, the more you sort of adhere to that ethos i think that's that's kind of more our lane you know and, and nothing against you know breweries that are going off the rails with adjunct ingredients because they're that's you know people buy that stuff up. People love you know these, these really crazy beers with you know like a whole candy store shoved in there. Is that our our lane? Not necessarily. I think we try to strike that balance of you know really just kind of traditional styles with the colch. You know we're proud to have the only beer engine in Chafee County. You know we do Cascale, which is definitely a, a very niche thing, very lost art, but we do, you know, we've got beers with lactose, we've got beers with fruit puree, um, you know, and I think, I think for us it's about, I like to use the phrase responsible adjunct usage, um, while, you know, producing beer that, that people want to buy and that people are excited about without, you know, just going down the the candy aisle and throwing stuff in the mash, basically. And again, nothing against breweries that want to approach brewing in that way. It's just not our not our style.
3: Yeah, if you want to make a Snickers stout, make a Snickers stout. <laughs> yeah. You run the gamut of
2: from light to dark to, and mm-hmm. doing everything great in between. Like they're very good. Mm-hmm. I know, about, I don't know about anybody else, but like in the wintertime, coming back from Monarch, like this is the spot mm-hmm. to oh. get those big dark beers mm-hmm. that I love. Yeah. So yeah,
0: Little Mo again. You know that being kind of the the homebrew batch that was the inspiration to start mm-hmm. the brewery, and then named after a run up the Monarch Mountain. Um, that is. Definitely, kind of one of our quintessential brews, and definitely, we think about that when we're producing beer. You know, Trace Amigos being the example of we we sell a ton of that to people coming off the crest rides. You know, if you've just done this big monster mountain bike ride, you know, you're gonna need some electrolytes, you're gonna need some salt, some you know, some citric acid, and some beer to you know take the edge off of your sore nether regions. after that big It's items. the Gatorade of beers. It is. <laughs> <For> every, <laughs> yeah. almost, I mean, really, it's And that's true. Yeah. You know,
3: it is. Because when you come off a hot day on the bike, it's like, yeah, you're not going to crush mm-hmm. a quandary or, you know, yeah. some big bourbon barrel age or barley wine or something. It's like, yeah. that's time for something on the lower yeah. end. You guys have a beer for day. every season, we all do. season. Yeah. yeah all right. seasons,
2: yeah. like all the beers are available. Yeah. yeah. Well,
3: and this is an area, you know, up in Salida, Pontius Springs area, It's there is stuff to be done here all seasons played mm-hmm. and be had outside all seasons. For sure. From kayaking and paddle boarding and biking and snowboarding and snow machines, horses, yeah. you know, everybody's
0: riding horses. Everything. whatever.
2: Wait, so when you're not drinking beer, what are you drinking?
0: Um oh man. Besides beer? Yeah. Yes. I don't it's it's weird. I really don't keep much in stock at home. I, I genuinely do not drink a lot of um, and I really I stick to beer I mean all you know wine is fine um, I'm, I'll be turning 45 this year and, and I've kind of done my share as a, as a lifetime bartender of you know shots of Irish whiskey you know oh, <laughs> uh, you know and, and and all of that stuff and um, I've just found that it's probably best for my my you know safety health and sanity if I keep it with with you know low ABV beer at this point so um, but you know I'm got a good Bloody Mary, a good uh, mimosa. Um, you know, we've got in, in the valley. We've got Woods Distillery. We've got Deer Hammer Distillery. We've got you know Salida making wine up the road. So there's there's plenty of local options, and I think that would be it. Is that if you know if I'm if I'm having something other than beer from from this brewery, it's going to be beer from you know Nick's Brewery down the road yeah. or or Soul Craft I mean, you know one of the other guys. So kind of definitely put. You know, put put my money where my mouth is yep. and support the local producers because we got plenty of them.
3: Well, and that's not that uncommon in craft beer, you know, we're all a big community and we say that over and over and over and, you know, there's
1: there's competitiveness,
3: but it's always friendly.
1: Hey!
2: Well, for our listeners, Carlin just walked in and then he's one of the owners of
1: beer. Yep, one of yep. the founders with Christian and uh, one of the owners as well. So. And yeah.
2: Christian's like one of the
1: Brewers? Yeah, Christian, the the original intention was Christian was gonna run all the production and I was gonna run the business side and that worked out for for quite a while. And um, now the business has just kind of morphed into a animal of its own and (laughs) I've stepped back more into ownership chair of the board role and Christian has taken over the CEO position. It's created a lot of upward mobility opportunities for some of our other staff that have been with us for a long time to step into management roles like production manager, marketing manager, sales manager, and front of house manager. So so create a lot of opportunities. I
2: think you were just like, you know, that mountain that's just down the road, I'm
3: just gonna go
1: hang out over there. Yeah, Maybe good you are gonna run the road company. to get back outside. <laughs> yeah. Get unfortunately outside. I am highly involved not unfortunately, I am highly involved in the community through our economic development corporation, um, and through some other business matters in the community. So that's uh, my passion is really on creating full time <laughs> employment in this community that is not tourist dependent. Um, I I grew up here and I see Uh, I grew up in rural Colorado. I grew up in Sterling originally and then moved to Buena Vista in the early, mid-90s. And, um, uh, you know, tourism is an amazing cash cow for everybody up here. It allows us to sustain a living. But at the end of the day, we have seen so many dips and bumps in in tourism, and our economy suffers when when tourism suffers. So my passion has really been focused on creating jobs that are sustainable and year-round in this community. It's funny that you touched on that because that's
2: what we were talking about earlier. Is how tourism is kind of a you it's want, a it, you want sword, it, you don't want it, yeah, exactly.
3: Especially with and like we talked, especially it it has become, and we've seen this all over the country. Is it housing is a real like sticking point I think for most communities that rely a lot on tourism. Yeah, because people come in and buy vacation homes and places they are not there all the time and contributing to the community all the time. Yet, when they're there, they need people to work and serve. And it's like, the workers don't typically come in for one or two months a year, you know? <laughs> they need to be here
1: and they need a place to live, you know, that, yeah. that they can afford to live. It's a dichotomy that is uh, very hard to balance. Yeah. So
2: what are some of your projects or, like, things that you're working on to make it more sustainable?
1: Um, in the community? Yeah. Well, my, um, right now I'm working on um, some telecom stuff to help grow our telecom the structure in the community. Um, I'm also helping out with, through the EDC, I help out with infrastructure projects, trying to get certain infrastructure things done so we can build more affordable housing, work with the local um, municipalities and building departments and whatnot through my EDC role to help simplify the process to get um, attainable housing built, attainable and affordable housing built. Mm-hmm. So. so would you say that's kind of a second, third, fourth job? yeah
2: i've always been um enamored i guess maybe that's not the right word but like how especially when you're opening a brewery at the first time how many owners are working their full-time job and with their partners and they're still opening a brewery so you've got like that's not two full-time jobs either no. like five <laughs> And so, I don't know, Did you were you working full-time when you first opened this? Yeah, I,
1: I, worked, I worked full-time for Elevation for 10 years and loved every minute of it. I was working full-time to get started um, and then was here full-time kind of in the general manager, CEO role, helping okay. grow the brand, helping with sales and whatnot. Um, and then after COVID, I just kind of had this come to Jesus with myself about where I want to be in this community and where I want to position myself. and and what is truly important to this community. And yeah. and I realized how many amazing people we have here that we can create that upward mobility for and it's gonna allow more capacity for everybody. So it's been a really, really amazing process. And, I
3: mean, well, and that kind of dovetails into something that we were talking to uh, Andy about off before we got on the podcast was he was talking about we were getting more deep in the woods on the beer side of things sure. and how elevation you know got to a certain point size wise distribution mm-hmm. across many states and things and then you guys made the conscious decision to actually kind of pull it back a little bit and shrink it down a little bit and put more focus on your community and your staff here and instead of just growing for growth's sake yeah
1: i would uh the only part i would contend with what you, what you said mm-hmm. is it was not small <laughs> it was <laughs> not half not. the company um oh. okay you got into uh, the, the total honest truth is, is we got wrapped up in the growth game of trying to get, you know, more volume out there to get our costs down to grow into profitability. Um, you know, we started in, in 2010, we started the process of 2010 through 12, and at that time we said, there's no way we can open a brewery in Denver because there's too many breweries in Denver. In 2010, we said that.
0: 100 <laughs> <laughs> um, <the> breweries later <laughs> yeah. in Denver. <laughs> Crazy town.
1: And a so hundred more, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so I think that um, we kind of we opened up in that wave of there were still a lot of people expanding out of state, and that was definitely the thing to do. Uh, the numbers looked in a way that you really had to grow into profitability. The tasting room thing was still uh, early in its day, so it was not totally understood how those were going to work out. And so we invested in sales and marketing and kept doing it, and um, finally the cash flow. A conundrum of growth caught up with us in 2019 and um, it was a miserable experience you know we never missed a payroll I'll I'll stand by that but it was tough we had back payables we had it was a horrible situation and we looked seriously and shut the whole company down it wasn't for this guy <laughs> stuck by our side the whole time and um, we Christian and I decided that we were gonna make some tough decisions and, and start shrinking the company so through the course of 2019, we um, got rid of our sales program, all of marketing, and all of our administration. That was probably kind of a saving grace before if,
2: the pandemic hit. If, if we had
1: not done that, we would not have survived.
2: Yeah. There's Dang. That.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we made some really healthy decisions, and the, the old adage of volume is vanity, profitability is sanity cannot be more true, and we're profitable cash flowing able to pay people proper we're investing in our equipment we're investing in our community and we're doing all the right things and we're letting growth happen as, as it naturally happens and organically happens oh. selfishly as
2: so, a beer
1: lover i'm glad you're still here <laughs> <laughs> me too I, i'm gonna
3: probably get on a tangent here a little bit and get oh. a little more deeper philosophically on it but do you feel like that's maybe something that as a country as a whole we need to start looking harder at especially these last couple of years have been really rough and people like you said you you said you really look deep in yourself for Mm -hmm. what you wanted and out of just for yourself yeah but do you think that's something like our economy has always been based off of? just keep growing keep in general Mm -hmm. just keep growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's like at some point that's gotta hit a bubble right I mean and do you think that's maybe something that a lot of even outside of beer a lot of companies are going to do to like what do I really want out of this and what makes sense?
1: Yeah, to sustain I, think, I think there's probably somewhat of an inflection point that we're at where people are starting to really evaluate what's truly important to them and, um, and whatnot. But I also think that the principles of capitalism are still going to ring true. Mm-hmm. That supply and demand is always gonna be there. If people right. want something, there's gonna be someone, someone there to provide it because there is an economic benefit to that. That's just always gonna exist. But I do think that we're in a new era of people saying, I want to make money, but I also want to see this money, uh, some of this money going towards more positive things like environment and equality and rural economic development and stuff like that. I think that that's that's the inflection point that we're at, is people not necessarily saying we're going to do away with all of capitalism, but saying, hey, I think we we need to keep this, but we need to modify it just a little bit so not so many people are left out in the dark all the time. Yeah,
3: what's the end game of this growth? What do, what do we do with this growth?
1: And I also, I think on a philosophical level, there's also an ego component that a lot of our economy is built on ego. And that was certainly what happened with Elevations. It was all my ego. I wanted, I wanted this brand to be, to be big and Western United States. We wanted Kolsch to be the, the, the yingling of the West. That was, yeah. that was what we wanted. And to a certain extent, we got there. Kolsch is a great beer. And yeah. It's really well-known in mm-hmm. the state, and I'm proud of that.
2: But why not? I mean, you're going to start a company just to say I want to be mediocre? No, like, you don't no, start no, 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 no. For But, but, <laughs> but in, you do
1: have these lofty goals. That's what keeps you going when you first start. Absolutely does. It. But not being attached to them so emotionally is I think we, okay, uh, yeah. we, uh, where we all struggle as a mm-hmm. nation right now is we're, we're attached to a certain end game and we forget that the process is really what we need to embrace mm-hmm. and whatever whatever happens at that other end is kind of what happens. Um, but enjoying the process and being conscious and I'm intentional about it in the immediate is what's really important, and money can come and all that yeah. stuff can come. But being intentional and conscious about it right now,
3: I think that's really refreshing to hear from somebody in your position because that's basically what you like. The the people that work here are part of that journey, that mm-hmm. process. You know that they're not necessarily focused on that that end game of growth of higher, you know, all the big money and stuff because. They're living their lives the way they wanna live them and just wanna be happy and, mm-hmm. and have a, a good job and, and you know something sustainable. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, I love I, it. I love that you take that much into account that like let's let's have good lives as we do this, not just let's just shoot for the moon and like let's, let's get to the Don't moon. Me. Okay, you get <laughs> the last on the moon, what are you doing? And how do you <laughs> go? <laughs> okay, we got the moon, what do we do with it? <laughs> we go yeah. for the sun next? <laughs> I don't know it came around to like a point I didn't expect so beer does that definitely that's does exactly
2: every... well and that, that was the hardest one of the, I mean obviously there's a lot more harder things that happen during COVID but for us when you're traveling and we're always together is like being in the RV together all the time and then when COVID hit you couldn't go out to these breweries and like sit and talk and have these conversations with other people so that it was, it's just nice that you can come back and discuss and yeah. That's the thing with beer. Um, we were interviewing. We always come back to these quotes. We we're interviewing um, Christian from Lazarus Brewing in Austin, mm-hmm. and one of the things he said was just like you, beer just makes you talk across the aisles. It doesn't matter like what you're talking about, who you're talking about, or how many arguments you have. You're just talking across the aisles and like enjoying the
1: same thing mm-hmm. along those lines. And I don't know if you like music as much as Andy does. A different those, Different. I <laughs> <sense. laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> big folk, folk okay.
2: But I think it's that same thing. Is when you have that commonality of what you're doing, whether it's the music that you like or the beer that you're drinking. There's that commonality there that allows you to have these deeper conversations. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, cool. if we could only find those commonalities in distribution. <laughs> that's boring. <laughs> that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get me uh,
0: the right for <laughs> <laughs> We're not going on record <laughs>
1: Where did your passion for beer come from? What, like, I mean like when, of... when we opened Elevation, I was not necessarily like, I love beer. You know, okay. It was more like I love this idea of starting a business and creating something that people want. And and I had this great partner who knew how to make the product and I pseudo sort of kind of not really knew how to get the business going. And uh, and the, the love for the beer kind of came along with it. But I would say that really the love is I, I love bourbon also, so I drink plenty of bourbon. See, I should asked him <laughs> the question. So, what else do you drink besides no, beer? No, no, no. <laughs> um, but, but the love for the beer is not necessarily the beer itself. The love for the beer is when you see it coming off the packaging line and it's absolutely perfect. Nice. I don't really give a shit what the beer is. I just love that it's absolutely perfect, and yeah. you get this re- re- reaction from from our friends and from people you don't even know, and it's just that that is really rewarding.
3: Yeah, it is one of the few businesses where you get to make something and then like you get to see the reaction pretty much immediately. Because mm-hmm. like you have, you know, everybody that works here tasting it off the candy line probably and then like you see it in the tap room. You walk out in the tap room and you see it, all the, your friends and neighbors and, and strangers, tourists from out of town, whatever, just all yeah forming that little communal bond over your product, mm-hmm. your
1: beer. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. It is it's really yeah. humbling when you have people seeking you out. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I love that. Cool. Yeah, awesome, great, great you. It was nice you. to meet you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank cool. you. Well,
3: like, we're here today talking to you about Elevation and stuff, but we're also here for your um, collaboration beer, you mm-hmm. grew in with another mountain brewery, Highway yeah. Park from yeah. Winter Park. Yeah. How, did, how did you guys hook up with, with them? So one of our
0: old sales rep, Gal Jess, Ayala, um, one of the best people I know, super sweet human beings, she lived in Winter Park, and she was buddies with Andy, Highway Park, and they were down here mountain biking, and we just kind of hit it off in that. We're, we're sort of cut from similar cloth in that, you know, just small brewery, um, Mountain Town, Andy. We both liked the English mile on cask and just kind of, you know, know, just had to just hit it off really, really well. And um, we had been wanting to do a collab with them for a long time, and then this year rolled around and it's just it was, the time was right. Christian meets and say, Yes, we do. Okay, so they were
2: talking about not using hops.
3: Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that that was the
2: idea. It's the same. but wait. Let me for our readers, for our listeners. I'm not sure like if this will be out in time for fest or not. (laughs) However, though, I just think it's intriguing the way that the breweries come together to Mm -hmm. do these these collabs. Yeah. So that's what when we were off mic, you were Mm -hmm. talking to the guys at Highway Park that they're going to be doing Uh one like this, but without hops.
0: So what it is is. They're going to be using different sort of hop uh, materials or or delivery devices, for lack of a better word. You know, and you've got uh, hops in whole cone form, pelletized extracts, Um, and there's all these different means to to you know introduce the hop into the the brew. And so what they're going for, we're going for just kind of good old fashioned pelletized, and they are going for everything but you know just all these different uh, different means of hopping a beer without, you know, using cones or pellets in the process, so.
3: Yeah, and for people who don't really know, like most, most of the hops you taste in beer come from, their pelletized hops. That's pretty much the standard in the industry and has been for a long time. And so the IPA that we're brewing here at Elevation today is gonna to be that kind of standard hop process, but doing a cool kind of west coast, juicy hybrid kind of IPA, right? And then the one you're doing at Hideaway is going to be the same basic beer, but the hop delivery method is very different because it's these extracts and some different things like that, which this still comes straight from the hop. It's not some kind of manufactured thing. It's it's still just the hops boil down to their essence, I guess Mm -hmm. I would say, so you don't have all the. Cleanup and materials that come along with it, the excess. The yep, cool. and, re- and it'll be a fun experiment, I think, to, For sure. to put the two side by side and see what the difference is, because because these extracts and stuff on the hop side are still relatively new. Yeah, they're and so constantly. Kinda, yeah, they're
0: constantly. How good are they? Getting new ones and trying to increase efficiency with how to get you know how to get these these hop compounds into the brew. I always fall back on like a, a weed analogy you know so Mm -hmm. if you want to smoke weed you can smoke some flour you know and there's hash and there's shatter and then there's you know the liquid stuff you can vape and there's all these different you know means to to get this into your system it's it's a similar thing it's all still derived from the same plan it's just about efficiency and Oh, yeah. I guess. Could you imagine though, if
2: we like, if you stayed the same? Like, wh- I mean, why would you not improve efficiency? Why would you not try to improve mm-hmm. upon creating the beer? Why would yep. you not improve upon even the taste of it? Because can you imagine if we didn't, the beers that we'd be drinking would be back in like from the ninth century. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> talk to any brewer during a uh, wet hop season. You know, oh, when yeah. we're brewing wet hops, and those are their their they oh, nice. nice. yes. There, you know, there's a lot of loss. They're delicious. That's they're totally great. They're fantastic. They're romantic, like, yeah. but uh, you talk to any brewer and it's, it's a love-hate thing. Mm. You,
3: know, oh, yeah, you probably lose half your beer because <laughs> you've got all these all these plant materials in there that are the soaking up the liquid and taking it out. Yeah. You can't get it back and in the You class. just
2: can't stop with the quotes because you don't get into the business to make beer. You get into the business to sell beer. you got to right. sell it. you got to oh, make right. money off of it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah okay wait so i know andy again off mic we do a lot of talking too yeah. but i know you are big time into some music and i know kenny Harris is big time into some music <laughs> yeah. and it's not you know there's nothing wrong with what carlin was saying about his music yeah. like, like folk music um, <laughs> but like there's the music you know community that you guys have too and it's metal Oh yeah. and you know craft beer travel and adventure is not always about the beer it's about the other things too that mm-hmm. we have in common yeah in, I don't know. Talk to us. This, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give the mic to you. I was
3: gonna say, like you, we were talking earlier, and you said you grew up in England, and I think you said one of the first albums that really attracted your attention was Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. Maiden. Yep. right? Number the Beast. Yep. Yeah, and I mean that's the same music I grew up on. I, when I my first music was like the first you know I, the first stuff I dove into was metal, and it was yeah Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. Metallica. Um, and then Megadeth, and Merciful Fate, all these crazy metal bands from the 80s. Yeah, I don't know, I mean, what was the first concert you ever went
0: to? So the first metal concert, so I I lucked out, because that was, I was at an age where Metallica was touring pretty vigorously on And Justice For All, and then the Black Album, but the one that really stood out to me was seeing um, Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Body Count at the Old Mile High Stadium. Oh, wow. okay. And that was a really cool one. And then Metallica, Megadeth, and Suicidal Tendencies at McNichols Arena was another big one. Uh, I caught Ministry, Sulter, and Helmet on tour for the Psalm 69 tour at, uh, what was oh, was the Mammoth events now? It's in it yeah, the Fillmore now. Yeah, it was Mammoth.
3: Might have been called Mammoth Gardens at mm. that time.
0: And then my, yeah, yeah. So those were those ones really stuck out. And then one of my first bartending jobs was at a place then called Pure Energy. It's called The Black Sheep now. It's a venue oh, in Colorado yeah. Springs. Yeah. And so I was in a band at the time and um, had a really good fake ID. And so I had been <laughs> drinking there and uh, in another place called, uh, yeah, in just another venue in, in Colorado Springs. And I was putting up flyers for a show that we were going to perform and one of the bartenders had called off. So the venue owner, this guy Samson, the time. I was like hey is there any way you can just bartend for the show tonight and so I, that was like my first sort of taste of like making cash and um and just kind of being the center of attention in a different way you know not not like playing guitar on stage but like just you know being behind the bar and like oh man I can kind of uh, this is cool I can make money and chicks are paying attention to me <laughs> yeah. and, and so and that was um so and that was a uh, suffocation it was the band definitely Metal oh, band wow. that was playing and so that was um you know that was that was a pretty important one to me too um, so yeah so those kind of those big I don't know my parents were cool enough to, to take me up to these big stadium shows you know and that's really cool and, yeah and yeah, check that stuff out but yeah. then also to see it in these small venues too it was like this is cool this my
3: cool. parents never took me to any of the shows but they were good enough to at least get me to the show that's like my mom would drive me a lot yeah I should say that my dad was reading Both a book and yeah. taking a nap yeah. Yeah. in, in yeah. the car he was not you know it's funny the, the crossover there. we have though because like it, like I never really went to see shows at the Black Sheep, but our mm-hmm. younger son, Owen, had a band that plays, he's played the Black Sheep several times. Okay, so I yeah, yeah. went to see him play there several times. And uh, But I'm gonna date myself a little bit because I'm a few years older than yeah. you. And my first show, my first metal show, was Ozzy Osbourne and Motley Crue. Nice. Ozzy was doing, he was the headliner with Bark at the Moon and Motley Crue, was this new scary satanic band that is Tommy Lee um, the rotating drum set no was like, ah. this was before the rotating okay. drum set was make this was shout it? at the devil like, is yeah. not there anymore yeah this is
2: this
3: is this was a long time ago before Motley Crue was girls 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 and home sweet home and all mm. that stuff well, my first. I did see I did see Motley Crue well you saw Motley my Crue, first one was Motley
2: Crue and Whitesnake when they were all that mm.
3: and that was when Tommy Lee had that crazy drum cage that mm-hmm. went up in the air over the audience and yeah. upside down spinning around yeah, David Coverdale
0: and Tawny Katane making out on Jaguar yeah. Yes. yeah that was like peak, peak hair metal I remember that but but some
3: of my more interesting shows I'd say were like I saw Megadeth mm-hmm. open for King Diamond mm-hmm. this was after Megadeth's first album and before peace sells but mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. so early on got to, and I eventually later got to meet Dave the same one time and he wasn't the asshole that everybody says he is, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's, it's funny when you hear
0: this, the horror stories about, mm-hmm. yeah, about Mustaine and, and, um, and some of these I've guys. I've heard a think. lot of bad
3: stories about him, but yeah, love for me, I didn't experience that. Anything, but, <laughs> but yeah, some of the bands, man, yeah. I saw so many bands of Testament. I saw Testament open for Judas Priest before, Okay. Uh, Saw Slayer at the Mammoth, nice. which was really fun. The the Mammoth Event Center floor turned into this like, not really a giant pit, but like three or four giant pits yeah. that all kind of melded together and like a snake. <laughs> yeah, Slayer
0: shows. That's that's definitely oh that's one of the more incredible shows that I got to see was was uh, them on the Divine Intervention tour. You know, oh wow, it was, yeah, post Lombardo, but it was.
3: Uh, see, we're definitely we're definitely just a few years separated because I'm thinking more like rain and
0: blood years (laughs) and south of heaven years so how do you metal
2: fix living in a little mountain town color it's
0: you know I'm at a point where seeing it live isn't so much of a thing anymore Uh, and you know and there's just I'm not a fan of algorithms and for, for a lot of reasons, but I think they're really good with like my Apple music and with my Spotify because mm. you get these cool suggestions. And so that's where, you know, Instagram, and my Apple music subscription are what have steered me towards a lot of new, you know, some of the newer bands because it's easy to get caught up and just listen to the same old stuff. Um, you know, I think too, just exploring different genres because again, there's just so many in, 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 in metal music and, um, Growing up in Colorado Springs, there's a place called Mosh um, Pit Records on Circle, mm-hmm. and um, Wendy, Wendy Perelstein she had a Pit magazine, and that was where I first got into like some of the more extreme death metal and you know uh, black metal these other subgenres, and um, and so yeah, so I think just just being open to exploring different genres and getting into it. That's funny. You're talking about commonality, and so Carlin likes folk and bluegrass, and I like metal. You guys are familiar with a kid named Billy Strange, who's just blown mm-hmm. up on the Bluegrass scene. Yeah. So he just did a three-day show, and on night one, he was wearing a Cryptopsy None So Vile t-shirt. And that's gonna sound like a whole bunch of jargon, but yeah. if you know who Cryptopsy is and you know what the album None So Vile is and the significance of that album for death metal and them being these kind of really influential, quebec um, you know, death metal guys and to have this up and coming young kid, you know, I mean, I think that album came out in 1996 and I think Billy streams was born in 1996, but he is a, a virtuoso bluegrass guitar player. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's for me, like, yes, metal is my bread and butter. That's my, my desert Island music, but I respect musicality and um, authenticity and talent across genres. So, yeah. you know, I'd give me some Sturgill in any day of the week, you know, my kids. Some Taylor Swift, give me some, yeah. you know, it's like, their, their talent period and yeah
2: my kids have actually really opened up my eyes to the different types of music and the subgenres and the genre and like all the thing all the different types of music are out there and because when you're younger like when you're first getting into like your music style like you think that's the only style that you Enjoy, Mm -hmm. but both of our boys have just grown up in the music Mm -hmm. industry in every single genre you can think of, and so they did a really good job of like Mm -hmm. opening up our eyes to the. Just, I mean, you've always been into a lot of different music genres, Mm -hmm. but for me, it's they. They did a really good job of opening up everything Mm -hmm. to me. Things that I didn't think I would ever like that are just like this is quality music, Mm -hmm. whether it's headbanging music or death metal or whatever kind of emo punk, you know, to country to pop
3: lines. You do um, just kind of. If it's good, it's good. Yeah. And even if I don't like that music, it's okay. I can appreciate it. Yeah. It's like I don't listen to Justin Bieber ever. But I can appreciate the work he's put in and right. you know, some of the talent he has and some yeah. of the things he's done. That's but, like beer though. Well, or Justin Timberlake blows me away. But it's the styles, styles of
1: beer too.
2: But it's the styles of beer like that too. You may not like a style of beer, but you don't downrate it or stomp on it or give mm-hmm. it a bad review because you don't like that style. Yeah. You can still appreciate that it's made well. And it's the same thing mm-hmm. with music. Unless you're on
0: Untapped, and then you just, <laughs> then you <show> because <laughs> I don't like IPAs. Two point five stars, wouldn't yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
2: There's that bullshit.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I think I think, and again, it's I think you know the beer music analogy is that. If there's sincerity, talent, and intention behind the end product, then it's recognizable, even if you're not a fan of that particular product. Um, uh, not everyone's going to like Roush beer. Not everyone's going to like Gregory Allen Isaacov. Okay. Or, people who don't know. like Roush beer are just wrong. Yeah. It was I'm just, just going to say, because I love smoked beer, beer so yeah. you're you, just wrong if you don't like <laughs> and You and six others.
3: Right. <laughs> right. right. We, we have a club that meets every Thursday night. Okay. Yeah, we'll put in that room. in the show notes.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I, I agree, and I appreciate that too. I mean, I think it's very true. Yeah.
2: Okay, you said your island, I like that island beer, or island beer, um, desert island, island music, mm-hmm. like the style is always yeah. going to be that metal. But so, do you have kind of a, if you had to choose one uh, band? Oh, man. Is that like choosing one beer?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to pick just one album, you can pick at least the whole band to listen to. Yeah. On that um, yeah.
0: All that helps. I've been going hard in the paint on every time I die, but maybe Dillinger Escape Plan would probably. Um, and just because their Dillinger Escape Plan, their um, the way they write songs is very, it's, it's it's really hard to approach. I think for a lot of people, and if you you know if you're familiar with music and familiar with time signatures and song structure, they just they burn it all around, so it's. It's something that every time you listen to it, you're probably going to notice something different, some little, some little something. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's really complicated music, you know, and, and um, if you haven't heard of them, they're, yeah, they're just, when they when they came out, it was like, holy crap, it was just a very new, a new thing. You know? and time signatures out the window, and there's a lot of people that imitate them, but, um, but yeah, Ben Weinman. As far as like a crazy guitar player and just their stage presence too, you know they're just just monsters, just really, really scary, um, talented, and new. It was, it, there was there was no band that really sounded like them when they came out. It was, it was mm-hmm. really extremely technical and hard to wrap your head around. It was like the CD is okay. skipping and you're trying to figure out what the fuck just happened with that with that I, bridge. Uh, I don't
2: know. know them, so I have to look that up and put that in the show notes yes. so people can kind of yeah yeah. 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 Yes. yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably have to go with them. Or every time I go to them. I mean, they're just, they're uh, they're a buffalo band and a lot of longevity and just a lot of talent. So.
2: A concert you would repeat, like again, like a live show that you would go to again and again and again. Gosh.
0: That is a good one. I mean, I think the first, I caught the first Ozfest Fest in uh, my high stadium, and that was kind of one of the first sort of festival, you know, multiple stages, uh, where you could really get, you know, see all these new bands. I'd probably do Ozfest again, because it was, that was the first time I saw Neurosis live, and and that's a really, another really cool band that's sort of the opposite of Dillinger Escape Plan. They're very droney and repetitive, and, um, but really good, Um, you know, and then seeing, you know, I was never a fan of Marilyn Manson, but seeing seeing them perform live was was really pretty darn cool. same thing wasn't you know I, mean, I respect what Ozzy brought and what Sabbath did it's, not it's undeniable but never you know, never on as in one of the albums and that was just a little prior to me I mean, respected but uh, yeah probably Oz Fest.
2: I think well uh, the one Oz Fest we went to I don't remember when it was but it was the first time we saw System of a Down live mm-hmm. and I was just kind of like with System of a Down I'm like eh but holy shit they put on a show live mm-hmm. yeah. yeah this
3: was a couple of years after the one at Mile High because this it was at right. Pepsi Center okay but, which, which is now Ball Arena it was a very good show yeah now ballerina, I guess. Whatever.
0: But yeah, Oz,
2: OzFest has done, brought some pretty good bands together. Yeah. Really yeah.
0: Like and it was just, I don't know, I've always. Festivals it, are fun shots. Yeah.
3: You can get a little bit of everything. That was my
0: first festival experience, and I think, you know, and I had seen, you know, seeing like the and go through Rose's body count was great. It was, you know, it was, that was when Axel walked off stage and it was kind of this whole shit show. Um, Axel's kind of a shit show. Kind of (laughs) a shit show. He's a lot of shit. Peak shit show. But um, so that was you know that was fun, but it was expensive. I felt like at Ozfest, there you know there's vendors and there's small bands that are up and coming, and then there's huge bands. It was just a really full experience. And as a metalhead, it was like oh this is this is good, you know. And and it was quite a
3: range of music too. mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think most people think Ozfest is like you know, you hear about all these crazy heavy bands and there are a ton of heavy mm-hmm. bands there. But then I think the one we were at was even 6am was there and mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I think, yeah. I think it was. I don't but, remember. Um, but you know.
2: wait, we can't not talk about the festival that oh my God, I had no desire really to go to. I'm a metal I'm <laughs> fan, but not as much as probably you guys are, but our, when our kids graduated from high school the summer before we took them on major trips. So when our youngest graduated, he wanted to go to England uh, and I, I was just Amma, like, eh, but then he wanted to go to Download. Okay. Holy shit, that festival was insane. Those,
0: I just yeah, looking script. at the lineups overwhelms me, so I couldn't imagine going, like, you know, any of those. Um.
2: It was so organized, though. It was really yeah, yeah. surprising, like, how close to the stage we were when um, it was, like, Iron Maiden was playing yeah. here. And, like, honestly, how close to the stage we were without feeling like you're going to get trampled mm. or killed. I feel
3: like <laughs> and, festival crowds are a little different in, at least in England, and I assume this for Europe, but different in England than in the U.S. I feel. Like, mm. Big shows in the U.S. tend to get a lot of mm. pushing forward and crowding up. I think it depends style, on the
0: band. And I, and I just
3: didn't I feel it. I think it depends thing. on the band. It could be the band mm-hmm. too, but um, I never felt a lot of that.
0: I think for Iron Maiden probably your average Iron Maiden fan now is north of forty years old. Yes. So they're probably not starting circle pits. They're That's probably, true. You know, they're very well could have They're they're nursing some kind of lower back pain, <laughs> so they're gonna keep it pretty chill.
3: You know, and it was raining that weekend, so probably a lot of people going my hip or my okay, knee it, No, it was
2: not just raining; it was downpouring. Like <laughs> it, it, it was a mud up. fest. It was.
3: But that made it part of yeah. the experience. Yeah, it was insane, but it was. It was actually very fantastic. But again, it's
2: just, I don't know, there was just a community within that group, too, that was just very, it was cool. It was yeah. very, very cool. But yeah. and I think
0: that's, you know, in, in my little blog, that was always the thing with, with, within the Metalhead community, it's, it's, well, it's just pomp, it's, you know, it's some of the nicest, most mellow, gentle people you're ever going to meet, uh-huh. you know, who are, who just sort of have this facade, you know, I mean, outside of maybe like mayhem and, and <laughs> yeah. certain you know certain that are really <laughs> people are who have actually killed people will take them out of the so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know i would say overwhelmingly um yeah you know metalheads yeah. are just a bunch of softies that you know put spikes on to protect themselves from uh you know. well
3: and even the mosh pits the mosh pits to people who have never participated in them mm-hmm. it looks just insanely stupid mm-hmm. it's like what the you guys are killing each other in there it's like no, you're not really. I mean most yeah. people oh God, someone, most traditional. If mush- someone falls was,
2: down immediately, there's fifty hands trying to get you back. It's up.
3: just uh, getting your energy out. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just an outlet. Yeah. It's an outlet for all the things that go on in your life, I think, sometimes mm-hmm. and and it isn't a, a mean hurt each other kind of thing usually. Yeah. You know? well, that's a good and even it. in the hardcore scene, you know, like if you watch I don't I don't do a lot of the hardcore stuff now mm-hmm. where they do the hardcore dancing and stuff like that. Yeah. That, I'm like, okay, you do your thing, I'm standing back on that one. Yeah, people are doing <laughs> karate in the middle yeah, of the, middle but, of the day, but they're but. still, at the same point, not trying, You generally, most of the time, not trying to be violent towards each
0: other. Don't, oh, I mean, you look uh, at, you know, yeah, you look at, you know, the straight-edge, hardcore yeah. bands like Earth Crisis that are, you know, this sort of pro-animal rights and anti-drug, and it's it's this very militant and, and scary stuff, but at the end of the day, they're, they're just want people to be healthy and sane and not yeah. hurt animals. Well mm-hmm. and
2: yeah. I know we get we got this kind of firsthand too with our kids too during the pandemic. Like that was their outlet mm-hmm. for their stress is to go to these shows and mm-hmm. like Owen oh, would do the hardcore and oh, Zach would mm-hmm. they do like the stage diving mm-hmm. and all that and that was their outlet for all this. And then mm-hmm. these past two years, them and these other young kids, they don't have that outlet anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you can see kind of how a lot of this is impacting mm-hmm. the youth. And so so many so many people look at this music genres yeah, is is like they look down on it and judge him for it, but yeah. that's their outlet to it's, stay sane. It's a mental and, health
3: outlet. It's yeah. it's part of supporting your mental health, actually.
0: There's uh, a band, so, and, you're, and now yeah, they have like the restriction lifting, and bands are starting to tour again, starting to see shows, uh, and the shows are getting wildly intense and really mm-hmm. really cool. There's a band called the Armed that's out of Detroit that's kind of really interesting. I strongly recommend doing a dive on those guys. And um they just performed in Detroit last week and it was they they were already kind of notorious for putting on pretty energetic pretty pretty crazy live shows and this one was exceptional. And they've even gotten to the point of um, embracing uh, exercise, working out as a component because, With the new album Ultra Pop, they did. They're like, you know, we want to be able to just physically destroy any other band we perform with, (laughs) and so they're just all ripped. And but that translates to the level of physical output that they have during their live shows. And they're in there. These hulking guys and the girls in the band too are just, you know, shredded. And um, and it's it's this really cool sort of overall approach to health you know whether it's mental in that catharsis you know, cathartic release of, of all this you know mm-hmm. energy versus cool. hey man we got to be hydrated and uh, we got to be stretched and feeling strong to to perform at the level that we want to perform and put on these shows that are just so physically taxing and um and yeah they're, they're really kind of running with it it's kind of it's a really interesting that's cool performance i think that's art.
3: something you kind of see i've seen it you know, it's not to a T, but in general, there's kind of a movement that way. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think on the metal side and, and hard rock and stuff, is that you know the '70s and '80s, sex, drugs, rock and roll, sex, drugs, rock and roll <laughs> yeah. debauchery. It was you know trash, the ho- hotel rooms, everything. It was like, it's like what the hell, yeah. <laughs> you know what's going on? But you see so many more bands now, like they're tallying like bands that work out on the road and they're like we know a few different people in the music business and they're like you know they take gyms with them portable gyms with them on the road because they don't want to try to find hotels and this and that and they want stuff right
0: there where they can do it and it's like you look at Vince Neil Oh, oh gosh! gosh. You're like okay, ooh man, this, this is actually, what the '80s did. This is what we'll do, yeah. Like okay, <laughs> let's let's not do that, or you know. I yeah, know. he can
3: barely walk across the stage. Right. I mean, he's
0: he's winded. He's forgetting the lyrics.
3: Yeah, I mean, he makes Ozzy look healthy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <and laughs> pulls it off
0: somehow. That dude I, pulls it off.
3: He's one of those guys. He's like the way I would compare Ozzy is like I remember seeing uh, Muhammad Ali, like he was he was amazing boxer in his prime, right? And like, he got Parkinson's, I mean, right he got older and like, he could barely talk a lot of times in interviews and things and really struggled. But then if he got up and started shadow boxing, mm-hmm. you're like, where the hell did that come from? You know, because you think he probably can't hardly move. And he and he did have a hard time walking around and stuff. Right? But mm-hmm. the shadow boxing there. And I think Ozzy's kind of in that same boat. It's like when he gets on stage, yeah, he's that—he's that hunched over, like looking like the Hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. or something. And but he just goes across the stage, and he can still sing. And yeah. You can't understand a word he says when he talks. No. Yeah. But when he sings, you're like, "What the hell? How come you can't say that?" Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny the things that happen. But yeah.
2: Right. You guys can keep talking yeah, off the talk mic. However, so like, oh, 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 no, you, yeah. you just finished your beer. Or did, I don't know. Need a cheers. Okay,
3: we we, we gotta brew some beer,
2: right? We can keep <laughs> talking off the mic. However, I think there's a good cheers here. Where like, you know, whatever it is that gets you to talk across the aisles and to have a commonality, then we'll fucking use it. Whether yeah, it's beer yeah. or music or dancing or I don't know, whatever shopping or hiking. <laughs> <laughs> cheers! 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 <laughs> Whether you're recording a podcast or actually just having a conversation around beer, that's what's really cool about beer is you're literally just having a conversation around a pint. And that's what our podcast is all about. And so those conversations end up anywhere. And knowing that Andy loved music that you love, too, (laughs) we had to talk about music, especially metal.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was a given that it was going to have to go there at some point. But
2: well, I kind of made it go there, but still (laughs) (laughs) it was still a given.
3: Yeah, and I'm kind of a downer note, <laughs> it's kind of a bummer, but this, this happened after we recorded this podcast um, with the guys at Elevation, but we just found out this weekend that... You
2: all probably already know anyhow.
3: Just as we're recording, just before we were recording this, we found out that Taylor Hawkins, the drummer from Foo Fighters, passed away, and nobody's really said anything yet about what exactly happened or how it happened, and but no matter how it happened or what happened it sucks because yeah foo fighters are a pretty influential band and one that i've liked for a long time and taylor's a guy that just i don't know he just has this like infectiousness about him you know he's always he always had this huge ass smile and he always made you laugh I didn't know him personally. I'm just I know it sounds like I'm talking like I knew him, but I'm just saying from interviews and seeing him on stuff. So one of my favorite stories about Taylor Hawkins is, and you've heard this a billion times, is when they were recording the Sonic Highways album, they actually did it in conjunction with filming a documentary where they basically recorded a song in different a different city all over the United States and they delved into the, like music history in each city that they went to or each area they went to. And long story short, they ended up recording a song in California in at, like near Joshua Tree or something like that, where there's a studio out in the desert. And they recorded the song that they had Joe Walsh come in, Joe Walsh from the Eagles come in and record the solo. And he's sitting there recording the solo. And I think they did it like in one take. But Taylor is over on the couch because this is like in a little house in the middle of the desert which is now a recording studio. So there's a couch in this room and he's over on the couch. He's on his hands and knees and he's just freaking out. He's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And just freaking out. And he's like burying his head in the couch. Then he looks up into the camera and he goes, it's fucking Joe Walsh, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it just
3: like his, his childlike enthusiasm in that moment that he was like, just, and he's just like, a little kid on Christmas Day, right? Like Christmas morning, getting up to open up presents. He's so excited to get to record with Joe Walsh. And that that kind of enthusiasm about him blew me away. And you saw it, like if you've seen any of the per, the videos and stuff of them performing all over the world. And they have like Jimmy Page and John Entwistle come out on stage and, you know, record. Or they play rock and roll and Dave Grohl gets on the drums and Taylor gets off the drums and sings rock and roll. I mean, to like probably 100,000 people at Wembley Arena. It's just crazy. I mean, and it's just really sad that he's gone. But, and I mean, he was only 50 years old.
2: It just literally struck with me right now that this is a great thing to say. Like, if you are waiting to build a life that you want to live, don't wait. What we care about
3: is doing what you want to do and live the life you want to live and do it and don't wait.
2: Yeah, because you only got the one life and you never know when the hell it's gone. So, yeah. Okay. Now that we, (laughs) that's, it's just when people.
3: Sorry for hearing us go through all this, but it's real. And the struggle is real no matter what, and no matter what you're facing and what your, what your deal in life is, you know.
2: My reaction is to go out there and live more. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on what your reaction is too.
3: No, I hope that's what most people take, because I think most of the people we care about when when they are gone for whatever reason, however it happened, they don't most people like we've said to each other oftentimes, we're not counting on either of us exiting this world anytime soon. But if and when it happens, you you don't get to be miserable for the rest of your life. No, you get to go out there and live more to go live the rest of your life. We still have friends and family that rely on us and we have our lives that deserve to be lived too. And I'm not gonna dishonor somebody that i love by by wasting the rest of my life better not and that's easy to okay. say right now not having to face that but you know life is worth living no matter what happens
2: okay <laughs>
3: <laughs> sorry we got so all deep right. there.
2: so okay yeah back on kind of track a little bit um be sure to subscribe so you can hear more <laughs> yeah <laughs> more all of that, this. you guys know all that stuff
3: <laughs> You guys um, know all that stuff. Yeah. I'm not even going to bother
2: with okay, that. Okay, let's do it. Um, so I'm going to say cheers to music that brings us life and beer and conversations and, and joy and music and just cheers. Cheers,
3: cheers to living a life with intention and with joy and with infectious laughter.
2: Yeah, now get the fuck out there and go live.
3: <laughs> cheers.
2: Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say, hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.